only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Hello, everyone, and welcome to our December bonus episode here on Lords of Limited. My name is Ethan Sachs, and I am actually not joined on the line by Mr. Ben Werney this time around. We are live on my Twitch channel here, and I am going to be interviewing not one, not two, not three, not four, but five of the trophy leaders across the three platforms, MTGO, MTGA Best of One, and MTGA Best of Three. Uh, We're going to be picking the brain of the people who have been drafting the format a ton and having a ton of success. Very, very exciting. Um, You're listening to this on podcast form. We also are going to have a video feed of this up on our YouTube channel. So let's get some introductions out of the way and dive into the conversation. First up from the Best of One Qs on Arena, we have Alex Nikolic, aka Quarter Calls, 92 drafts and 22 trophies under his belt. We've got Nilo, aka NCAA, with 81 drafts and 20 four trophies from the best of three cues on arena we have goosey goose aka jim word uh, with 100 events and 40 trophies we have florida mun aka chris palmiati with 62 events and 25 trophies we have myself with 68 events and 35 trophies and bringing in the boomer generation we have <laughs> beers sc aka jacob with 84 drafts and 30 for trophies. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Um, if you are watching live, thank you. If you're checking us out on YouTube, thank you. And if you're listening on the podcast, thank you very much. I'm super excited to get these five great limited minds together. And this was sort of inspired by, uh, for, for me, that this format has really clicked for me, but it's also clicking with these five guys as well. And I don't think we're all doing the same thing. I think there's among people having success in this format, there is uh, not really the same page that we're all on. We're, we're sort of, I think, finding our different uh, niches and, and different paths to victory and to success. And I thought, what better way to you know get those all together to sort of see if we can't figure out what everybody's doing. So the first question that I want to ask to everybody, and we'll, we'll teach each person up individually, is what do you believe the rules of engagement are for Vow Limited? That is like, what conscious choices are you making for this set that might be different for another set? Are there things you're prioritizing or not prioritizing? Colors, color pairs, strategies you gravitate towards or away from, all that good stuff. And I'm going to start here in the upper left with beers. What what do you think you're doing differently or what has led to your success in this format? Well, uh, for me now, I'm just all about uh, hard forcing red. <laughs> I think that's the main thing. I want to be in red as much as possible and i i think now between bolt braid epicure flame speaker impulse and i'm probably leaving one out all of those red commons i like almost better than any other common so i'm happy to have kind of any mix of those and then i try to fill in my second color as i go and only when it's becoming abundantly clear that red is not open, do I start shifting into something else? And have you been on that from basically the get-go or did that take a little no. while for you to get to? Yeah, it took it took some time. 
Uh, I foolishly thought blue black was, you know, the broken deck of the format at first. And I actually got some pushback, I think in your stream that uh, exploit wasn't that good. And I didn't believe it. And then it took me a little more playing and I realized, yeah, exploit was not where I wanted to be. And actually you were the one that talked about flame breather. And I sort of did like a stress test on it. I just went as hard on flame breathers and angers and, uh, you know, tried to just make this like linear uh, spell deck and it really worked. And then I was like, maybe I just got lucky the first time and I did it again and again. And I mean, I'm like 40 drafts deep of doing the strategy and it still seems to be working. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the things that's so, I mean, not unique, but one of the things that is important to note about this format, I think, is that both red and black are just so incredibly deep at common. And so you can get to get down the road of Bolt and a Braid and whatever, if you think it's Celebrants or Epicure or Flame Breather, and then you're still not even touching, you know, good tricks like Sure Strike or, you know, bad removal like Lacerate Flesh or whatever. Like you've got a lot of options at common in red for sure. Um, yeah. Let's uh let's move on over to Alex, the other sort of end of the spectrum here. No, not best of three on MTGO, but best of one on Arena. What's going on with you, Alex? You 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 just jam so many drafts and so many games. I'm so curious to hear what your sort of big picture take on this format is. Yeah, so I definitely share a lot of thoughts with beers. Um, I love the the red decks with the Kesey Flame Breathers, with the Angers, like going deep on the spell stuff. Um, but I, I kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, um, I, I've actually found a lot of success with like blue and green, sometimes paired, but sometimes like just paired with, you know, other things. Um, I think that blue green has kind of got sort of a bad rap in this format. I, I don't want to say it's, uh, it's bad. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's good. It's like oh, awesome. I don't want to say it's bad either, but I, I think it is certainly playable. And I guess that actually leads into a bit, my bigger picture, uh, idea of this format where, a lot of formats we've had recently, like AFR, Midnight Hunt, Strixhaven, they've had like a deck where it's like, I really want to be this deck, right? I'm going to bias towards it. I'm going to bias away from everything else. I don't really feel that way. Like, I love, you know, the Red Spells decks, uh, like 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 Beers is talking about. And I would, you know, if I had my choice, maybe I, I would choose to be one of those decks. But I'm, I've been more flexible in this format than I have, I think, in any format in the, more than any format in the past year. Um both because I think it's a pretty balanced format and I think that it's just so important to be uh, flexible to picking up the good cards later on in pack twos and pack, in pack three, right? There's so many good bombs in this format. You get past them a lot of the time. Um, so yeah, flexibility is huge for me. Um, I've just been like pretty happy to draft whatever. Honestly, it, it comes from a place of there's not really like commons driving this environment as strongly as some previous environments. There's no organ hoarders. There's no diagraph hordes where I'm like, I just want as many of these as I possibly can. It really is like, okay, start with this good rare. Let me see how I can like build around that or like drive my draft in a direction where I can like maximize on this rare, see it more often, you know, card with card draw, card selections, that kind of stuff. And then like whatever colors are open, I'll just like pair it with that bomb essentially. So I have my preferences and like the kinds of decks I like for sure, but I'm also like not biasing too hard. Great. Great to hear. All right. The other best of one drafts are here. NCAA. Uh, Nilo, what's uh, what's going on with you in this format? What do you think is leading to your success in these drafts? Yeah, kind of similar to Alex. We usually kind of think similarly about formats anyway, but like I'm, 
I do think that red is like the best color by a decent margin, but other than red, I kind of like just am happy to draft whatever, and even red I'm not like that attached to. I would like to be red, but not that it matters, and I think the other colors are all like extremely close to each other, and I'm happy to draft whatever is open or wherever I have the like good cards, so to say. So I just try to find the open lane and hopefully get past something or open something and usually if I can stick to one color in like back one. But and if I can choose, I want to be red. But like other than that, I'm happy to draft whatever, even like blue green or what uh, white green, what people think like I think generally are the worst decks. And I'm just happy to draft anything, pretty much. All right, everyone playing nice so far. Everybody keeping the takes cool for now, but I bet we're going to get some blood later. No pun intended. Uh, Jim, aka Goosey Goose, going Hi. to the best of three cues in MTGA. Uh, wh- what about you? You're top of the leaderboard, and, and by a pretty significant margin, you've been jamming some drafts. What, what keeps you coming back, and what keeps you getting those trophies draft after draft? Well, um... I wrote down three, I guess, rules of engagement here. So um, the first one is, you know, kind of obvious. You draft bombs and you have answers to bombs. Um, And you can't quite always, you know, guarantee that you're going to get those bombs. But I think um, it might have been, let's see, uh, was it Beers earlier that said he likes to stay open? And so if you can kind of go into that draft, I'm sorry, NCAA. Yeah. Um, if you can go into that draft and kind of just have that one color out of pack one, you keep yourself open to those bombs coming to you in pack two. And even honestly, as late as pack three, if you can kind of solidify that one color, um, my second rule of engagement, I need access to blood. And unfortunately for me, that means that green is usually going by the wayside. So like blood is so important and I don't think, um, too many people have mentioned it yet, but, Getting, making sure you don't um, get land screwed early and making sure you don't land flood late. It's just so huge. And then number three for me is either evasive threats or just ways to close the game early because there are bombs that come down and, and they demand answers and they can kind of just win the game on the spot. And so if you can close the game out before that happens, um, you know, you're going to win more games. So I guess um, with all that said, I've been leaning in towards blue. Now I do agree that I think red's the best color. But you get these counterspells wheeling around in blue so often with Siphon Essence and, and Syncopate and the rare version and, and um, Geist Snare. And even to some extent, there's the other uncommon in blue that's just basically one blue-blue cancel. And you have four or five of these, six of these, and you basically have answers to everything in the format. So I have been leaning in towards blue very heavily out of, of, of my um, 100 trophies, or sorry, of my 40 trophies uh I don't, how many trophies do I have? I don't know. I have a lot, but 38, 38 <laughs> of them are in blue, red, and blue, white. So those are the two decks that I've been um, going towards. Wow. Okay. Okay. Uh, don't worry, Cordo and NCAA. You will have your chance to defend green in short order. But first, we got to get to Chris, aka Florida Mun. Chris, what's going on with you? You and I have been in a dead heat, though you've pulled ahead uh, in terms of the, the, the trophy race in, in whatever fourth or fifth place. What's going on with you? What, what's clicking with this format for you? Yeah, it's been fun going uh, head-to-head with you on the leaderboards. But this this format, like everyone has said, I think the color balance is, you know, very, very solid. Uh, obviously, I think people have preferences. Red seems to be a little bit of a standout, but 
definitely every archetype is viable. I think this whole format is about just knowing what's going on and really having a game plan for it. It's all about blood um, and it's all about bombs, right? So you, if you're building a deck where you don't have access to blood or you end up not with a bomb, you have to make sure that you have a solid game plan to combat that. Because if you run into a deck that can just stop at six lands and draw gas for the rest of the game while you're flooding, you're going to lose in like some green-white deck. So for example there, throw in the knife and give your creatures some access to blood when they're attacking because you want to be attacking anyway. Um, and then, you know, if you don't if you don't end up with a bomb, you know, use those counter spells like Goosey was saying, or just use the as aggro as you can get, get all those one one mana combat tricks and just get in there because you're not gonna win the late game if it goes, you know, past 15, 10, 15 turns, whatever. So that's that's kind of my take on the format. But I tried to stay open. Don't get married to your pack one, pick one bomb if it's the color super cut off. I think that's how you end up with train wrecks. And uh, yeah, just kind of follow the drafting the hard way instincts with with those uh, heuristics in mind. Yeah, I so you know, there's a bit more consensus to those five answers, and I will you know I'm gonna probably not be piping in too many comments here and just try and be moderator for this episode, but. Uh, it sounds like there's a good bit of consensus here in terms of, you know, we recognize the bombs are bomby. The removal is, you know, scarce, but sometimes strong and certainly important. And we're, we're recognizing perhaps some color preferences, but I wouldn't, I would doubt that anyone would argue that red is the best color in the format. Now let's talk about green. Let's, let's see the floor. I've been vocal enough on, uh, on the podcast in previous episodes that green is not a color I'm drafting though. Today I did end up with, I think three back-to-back green decks and two of them trophied. So it's not that I'm avoiding green, like the plague. There are some cards that I will go into green for, and we've talked about them before, but you know, I've definitely seen, you know, NCAA talking about trophy decks in uh, the Lords of Limited discord. Definitely watched enough of Alex drafting to see him, you know, second picking the, the six, six that gains you life. And, I would like to give you guys the opportunity to talk about what your thoughts on green are in the format. NCAA, why don't we we lead off with you? Okay, so <laughs> honestly, it's pretty simple. Just play bigger chunkers than your opponent and smash face. Like, That's it? Almost, but it's like green off has you the best ramp, of course. It's the only ramp, pretty much. You can ramp to your six drops, usually. Because I, Flourishing Hunter is like the planet common. Brambleworm, I think, is one of the best uncommons in the set. And then it's like green can also play like multiple good stuff. Like you can, if you get the Weavers, you get Taxidermists, you get Statues sometimes. Wilds is a high, high pick for me. You can honestly play like four color soup. And I kind of like it. And it's like, it leads to like me picking the be- even if I have a like strong bomb, I usually don't try too hard to stick to that color. I just pick the best card out of the packs, and often green is open, leading me to kind of going to green and allowing me to splash quite quite often and play just like a pile of good cards. And then the other other side of green is like just playing who can marines and uh, six success and like just being big junkers and beating down pretty much all right alex the the nods are effusive 
Uh, anything to, uh, to say that's going to second what uh, NCAA just talked about? Yeah, for for those who aren't watching and are just listening to the podcast, the the five the panel of us, like half of the panel is like, oh my goodness, these these drafters, they don't they know nothing. Which you know, I I think is great. Like, number one, I think it's just a sign of a good format, honestly. Where like there's people having success in one place, and then people having success in a completely different place and like having you know the inverse of not doing so well you know i've done not done so well with decks some decks that people really like and yeah i don't know i think that um the ncaa definitely covered the points that i agree with like it's got large creatures and it can uh splish splash around a lot like you get three weaver like i had a blue green deck yesterday that was just like good blue green stuff uh, you know, good blue green cards because blue green was open, and I had enough fixing to splash Dreadfast Demon. Like I had eight sources of black, incidentally, um, and that just happens. I have I have a deck where I'm like splashing multiple double pipped cards, and uh, you know, a, a card of another color, like kind of soupy, like NCAA was saying, because you know, I'm not just like jamming a bunch of basics in. I'm doing it somewhat responsibly, enough sources, but you do get to capitalize on the late bombs that people pass you, um, and sometimes the way to you know capitalize and late bump people pass you just find the open colors but sometimes that's not always the draft doesn't always go that way and you just pick up a bunch of good stuff late in the pack um but the thing that i you know ncaa was kind of touching on this with the like the large chonkers um the thing that i like about green is a lot of its creatures exhaust your opponent's removal and, and what i mean by that is like a lot of the time the set plays out a little bit sealed in some matchups where you know you have x good removal spells against your opponent's X good cards that matter in their deck, right? Like, usually that's bombs, sometimes just good uncommons, right? And let's just say, you know, a given player has, like, five removal spells. Uh, green's commons, a lot of the time, when you play a hookhand mariner, or especially the 6-6, six, six, it generally demands an actual, like, spell answer, not a creature answer, because the, the, the cheap creatures in the set do not trade with the larger creatures very well. Um... You know, four four is kind of like the break point. Anything bigger than that is is really hard to trade with. So often, like my mariner eats a removal spell, or my six six, of course, eats a removal spell, um, and then that leaves the floor open for me to like maneuver myself in a way where I'm like, okay, cool, I'll play these first. They'll have to interact with them, and then I can play my better cards. Uh, you know, my bombs or whatever it is. Um, so like, it's kind of funny when I think about all the green color pairs, like green white, not a huge fan of green blue. Like I said, I do like green red. I like to some extent and green black. It's, it's fine. Um, I don't actually lo- love them in the abstract, but I just find that there's enough of the good green cards. Like, uh, you know, the six, six flourishing hunter, the six, six, the gains life Mariner um, wolf strike even goes a little bit late where I'm just like, I just kind of find myself there because those are the cards I care about. Uh, and they go late. So it's kind of like a scarcity thing in a way where it's this, it's this, um, I get access to these cards that nobody else really wants, but I value highly because I can, I feel like I can apply them in a way, you know, by surrounding them with, you know, good interaction to like get your big green things in or with surrounding them by bombs, which isn't always possible, um, that I can get more from my six sixes and my four fours than I normally would be able to in like a normal set. All right. That makes sense. Uh, so any of my I, yeah beers, please. Do you mind? I, I was just as somebody that's been a a uh, not a not a big fan of green. Yeah, I will say blue green is the one archetype I have liked, and I and hearing you talk about it as a way to splash and play other colors was totally different than how I thought you guys were drafting it because that's the one way I have liked it. I've had I think five trophies with green, and all of them have been multicolor. They've been blue green base almost every time. And uh, 
I just have found the like streamlined green, white, you know, training attack, you put out creatures and attack and hope that it gets through. (laughs) And uh, as, as, but as people that have, uh, have drafted green a lot, what I, the question I would have for you is I've seemed to think the most important green common to me, the most important green common is, uh, the might, the plus two, plus two. Okay. uh, With trample. Yeah. I don't know. Like every time I've had a, I, I should say, if I'm drafting a green deck that isn't just trying to cast random creatures, splashing a bunch of stuff and cast big spells like the Wrath and then rebuild and stuff, if I'm just trying to attack, that that plus two plus two has been the biggest difference maker for me, just allowing you to attack every time. Okay, so so I, I know there's I see there's hands raised, but I just want to quickly get my piece in uh, against what you're saying. I have found my green decks don't want to attack that much. Like I think that the two drops aren't that great at getting in. Like I I don't really like all two drops, all tricks in this format very much. So like, if that's a fine card, especially if you're like, you know, it's a good cheap tempo play and like, I'll play it for sure. Um, but mostly my decks are either doing two things, right? They're just like doing the splish splash thing or they are just big creatures along the curve. They don't really need tricks, if that makes sense. They, at least in my mind. But but but, but I, I do think Massive Might is like a totally fine card. It's just not like, oh, I'm just going to play a bunch of creatures and Massive Might them out of the game. That hasn't really been what i've been doing but i i've also seen you know that be successful so all right goosey goose you're up yeah so um i don't know i hear a lot of talk of you know green being the the splash color and i think that like i mean part of what what i hear with that is to is that green inherently is not good on its own and it needs the help of the other colors and that's kind of how i feel so um when you're drafting these green decks with Weaver of Blossoms and, um, you know, the uncommon uh, artifact that, that helps you splash these colors, a lot of the times I, I feel like I can just be in a better deck without, you know, being hindered by green. Um, blue, or sorry, green, white, and green, blue. It's, it's surprising to me how how many people have liked green, blue because of my 100 drafts. I have had one green, blue draft. It was 02. I think the spider's bad. I think the spider needs... I think the spider needed to be a mana ramper and it's not. And I think that that gold card is just not pulling me into that color pair. Um, green, white, the four, four is, is basically just a hook hand Mariner. Like the Mariner is probably honestly better a lot of the times. And so, um, unless I'm green, red, honestly, unless I'm green, red werewolves and I'm getting child of the night, or is it child of the pack that, that two, five that makes werewolves, or I'm getting some of the busted rares like um, Helena and Elena and or Ava Brook. I'm just avoiding it. It does. It doesn't do anything that the other colors can't do better. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I want to make sure we get to what everybody has to say here. I don't know if Chris just wanted to, he felt left out that his hand was erased. Um, I do want to make sure that the conversation that, you know, we don't want, one, I don't want to make sure we get caught in the weeds here about green, but two, I want to make sure that we're more talking about our own experiences rather than trying to refute other people's experiences, right? So we don't need to make everybody a green convert or a red convert, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but but I do uh, want to make sure we get get to some other points here. But like, yeah, uh, Nilo, what do you, you got to say here, bud? So, okay. So, yeah, I agree with that. I think someone said something about red-green being like the kind of good egg of green and I kind of agree like red green I think can just play it has the best cheap removal which well obviously and it helps like because green doesn't really have like good cheap plays 
it has like who can mariner which is in my opinion one of the best four drops in the game or like in the set at common at least and then it has like uh the six six and kind of like big stuff the best creatures you could say kind of but it's missing like interaction especially like uh unconditional ones full strike doesn't always work like it's good but yeah uh so red green is like just it kind of covers what green is missing i think so you can just play like red green and beat down but then the other decks are like white green for example i know people hate white green and i think that all of the training cards suck like it's like they're just bad and but like i'm happy to play white green if i get past like good white cards and green is open i just play good what Good green cards and good white cards. What's like, I've had like a few trophies with white green and they had like zero training cards pretty much. And then blue green, kind of the same thing. I'm happy to start blue if I get past some green cards. I play green and same with black pretty much. Like they are not good decks, but they kind of like operate. You could just have good cards and then you can splash around if you want to. They're not really like decks, so to say. They're green decks that have like a secondary color kind of <laughs> it's kind of draft cards not decks yeah with, yeah uh, with green <laughs> yeah um i, I want to just move on here unless I, I don't know how many of the hand raises were jokes or not but if, <laughs> if uh if, if chris or jacob have something to say here you can tack it on to the next question but i'm gonna tee you up here chris i am curious i think that uh something that varies a lot from players that have a lot of success or not is the amount that they prepare for a format. Um, I certainly know how Alex prepares for a format as he and I do an extensive set review together. But uh, Chris, what, what are, what is this, the things that you did leading up to Crimson Vow? And is that, the, those are the, is that the regimen you have for every set or was something special about this set? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I team up with some of the other draft lab, you know, limited drafters. So we do a tier list. So that makes me very familiar with the cards in the set. Um, and you know, we do a little archetype previews and things like that. So I'm pretty familiar with what's, you know, in theory supposed to be going on the set going into it. I don't like making like massive judgments about, you know, and you know, cards that aren't clearly busted or, oh, this is a, uh, well-costed removal spell. It's going to be good. Uh, I like to, I like to play a little bit before, you know, throwing out any strong opinions one way or the other, but I don't prep too much. Uh, I think the first week there's enough people, casuals kind of jumping in and, and flooding the queues to where you can follow your your instincts and just get some experience without stressing too much about trying to spike every draft. And then after that week, it becomes pretty clear about if there's any standout archetypes and you know what the front runners are. And then obviously, like two weeks later, it kind of shifts a little bit. The meta, it settles, I think some of the people who came back casually kind of fall out. And then that's where you start getting the like really competitive, mature, um, you know, uh, environment to draft in. And I think that's where like the sweet spot of most formats is. Beers, mm-hmm. what about you? I know you're kind of on a different end of the spectrum. I think you're sort of, uh, sort of one that flies by the seat of his pants a little bit more. Me? Oh yeah. <laughs> I, so, <laughs> I mean, I listen to like the spoiler or the, uh, yeah, the reviews set reviews. Mm-hmm. But I don't ever go and like look at the uh, cards, and then half the time, listen to set reviews. I'm walking my dogs and paying attention to something else. So usually for me, I just jump in and start drafting, and I mean on the fly, I figure out what I think is good. 
But I've always been a big, big advocate for pay attention to what's beating you. Or I shouldn't even say, it doesn't even necessarily have to beat you. Just like, what are your opponents doing that is different than what you thought? Because we all come in with our own biases, whether it's from past formats or just, you know, how you perceive the cards to work together. And if you keep jamming the same thing over and over, you're just going to get the same results. But it becomes quick for me to notice like, okay, this card that I didn't think was very good keeps beating me. So it must be good. Or this uh, card that I thought was really good. Every time I play and my opponent plays, it does nothing. And I really do stuff like stress testing. Like I say, if I think a strategy is something that I never thought about, I go in the next queue and I just force it and I draft it as much as I can. And I get a real good idea. Like, is this something doable? Did my opponent get lucky? I, I shouldn't even say lucky, but I mean, did I see the good variance of my opponent or is there something really there? And then I kind of build off that. Yeah, great. Alex, what, what do you got to follow up here? Yeah, I just wanted to uh, kind of echo what Beard is saying about the whole stress testing thing. That, that's something I actually find myself doing a lot. Like, I will kind of pick up on a hint of something at the beginning of a form. I'm like, oh, that's something I didn't think of, or that's something that, uh, you know, I didn't think was going to be good. And, you know, my opponent has shown me, oh, it actually was pretty good. And I'll just like, I'll do a draft or I'll take a draft or two and just like push it to the max, like Beards was saying. Like, you know, Cassie Flame Breather is kind of the perfect example where I was just like, I'm just going to take every single one I see and then take every single non-creature I see, see how good the deck was, right? Or the deck it can be, right? And you can kind of, um, once you push it as far as possible, you can kind of dial it back and uh, pass that and be like, okay, maybe I don't want all Kessig Flame Breathers and like, you know, 15 spells with some of them being bad. Maybe you want like eight creatures or nine creatures with some spells. So it's like, it's almost like, you know, I know this is not the, the best analogy on this particular podcast, but like it's almost like constructed testing a little bit where you take an idea, you take an archetype, you push it as far as possible, and then you can like reel it in, dial it back, and you can kind of settle on a happy medium, you find the push or pull of what, what an archetype or what certain cards really want. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, any other thoughts about uh, about prep here before we we move on to another topic, Jim or Nilo? Um, yeah, so absolutely. Like like actual prep for me personally, I I do very little, almost sometimes none. Like this set, I was playing Diablo three or sorry Diablo two, resurrected, <laughs> so I wasn't doing any of the of the prep stuff. But I oftentimes listen to your podcast and limited resources, but. Um, I really like what uh, the the last two guys were saying about stress testing and like just not necessarily what beats you, but what's doing. What 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 are people doing? You're not doing, but um, what they didn't touch on, and maybe we'll touch on later, is seventeen lands has really just like just really changed the way I draft, and maybe it's not for the better, but like. I use them as a crutch so hard. So like the first day or two when there's not much data, I'm kind of flopping around and seeing what's good. But like once I see those numbers, I kind of like, I almost force what's good just to just like, is this actually good? Is this, is this what is happening? And, and it's insane, honestly, how, how high the win rates skyrocket when you're just putting naturally good cards in your deck that you didn't necessarily know were good. And so that that's not necessarily prep, but that's like day two, day three of the format. Yeah, well, that's a great way to segue into one of the next questions that I had, which is, you know, well, we've got uh, Beers SC coming in from MTGO, which has the actual factual trophy leaderboard. 
But thankfully for us arena players, we also have a leaderboard thanks to 17lanes.com. And that's how we have access to, to see who who's crushing the format at various stages. And so one of the questions that I had as a sort of newer convert, we have two duck cubed in the in the chat here as a newer convert to data or someone who has incorporated data more into uh, his limited approach this past set. I'm curious what data has offered everybody here we get a little sense from jim i know beers has some some stuff to say about data in a second that i want to get to but maybe uh, ceding the floor to uh nilo or chris or alex um how do you incorporate data into your you know limited lifestyle let's start with chris yeah, so I might be the odd person out. Uh, I'm not sure how a couple of you feel about that, but I, I really try not to look anything on 17 lands in terms of game in hand win rates for individual cards, archetype win rates. I I don't want it to kind of, I, I feel like I've built a lot of reps and like have kind of have my, you know, instincts honed for magic draft. And I don't want to have this data in the back of my head saying, oh, maybe you should pick this though. So I like to just kind of go with the gut and, I think the data is useful to where you can start to see how people start biasing it. And then you can kind of out meta the meta a little mm-hmm. bit and you can say, okay, well, everyone's all onto the flame breather. How do I just make sure, okay, let me just pick up all the life gain stuff and then they're never going to get me dead. Right. And then sure. I can just like chip in in the air. So I, that's, that's my approach. I think it's very useful. I think it's awesome to have, but I personally just try to not look at, you know, individual card ratings and things like that. Yeah. Uh, Nilo, how does data work its way into your uh, ascension up the the trophy leaderboard ranks? I use, let's just say that I used a lot. Like, yeah, before I, I think I started using 17 lands state, like mainly in Kaldheim. And I was reaching like 70, probably in best of three before that. After that, pretty much did go to constantly hitting 80 in best of three and or at least close to it and then also going starting going infinite in best of one and it's like i use it like in a sense that some formats is like of course better and some formats first but i pretty much early on go just by the data in afr i pretty much drafted the whole set by just picking the best card by the data with extremely good success and i just go i i realize like cards that i maybe some like like disagree with or maybe or something like that or some people like like and the data doesn't like and i try them out and maybe for my own opinions like later on as it goes and like in this set though i use the data much less like much much less i use nowadays i use like not at all pretty much because i think the comments are so close in power level that they are like and also the colors and color pairs are so close and also why i like this set a lot that like you i don't think you can like gain a huge advantage just by looking at the data because everything is so contextual like think you need a two drop you take a two drop you need like you need blood you need life gain you need whatever you need it's like you just take it i don't think it's that useful in this set so i would kind of advise against going too much with the data in this set 
even though I think it's like very useful in mo- most sets, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jim, what are your thoughts here? Um, so the data for me has really kind of highlighted specific cards that are just, I think, naturally good. And so um, I think it was AFR, there was this 2-3 that leech to life. Um, it was just a common. And everybody thought that it was kind of bad, or at least I did. And then like the data showed that it was one of the best black commons, if not the best black common in that set. Um, the following set had this 3-2 vampire that did a similar thing. It wasn't as good because it required damage to be dealt to the opponent beforehand. And now this set, we have Diagraph Scavenger, which again, does a very similar thing. It's a 2-3 death touch, leeches to life. These cards have just always, at least the data shows, to be one of the best black commons in the set. And I would have kind of overlooked that, I think, without the data. Um, and so that one has been a big surprise to me. Counterspells in general just have really high win rates, especially ones that give you benefits. So this one gives you a blood token or this one exiles or, you know, I think the last set it gave you a zombie. Like these cards just generally are a lot better than I think people have have thought that they were, especially we talk about boomer magic, right? We just had one blue blue cancel. Like people hated that card, but we we don't have that anymore. Like these are counter spells that do something on top of it. And so these are the surprises that like, I'm kind of like, I don't think I would have come to that conclusion as quickly w- without the data, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's definitely true. The the thought that, that two duck cube DK uh, Carl had when he was on our show, that that idea of like the data providing a gut check for me, that sort of seems to be in line with, with you, Jim, or, or to just sort of say like, okay, if this is, this is something that many people are having success with. Am I overlooking that now? Uh, Beers, you alluded to having some, some thoughts on, data a couple days ago on my stream so i'd love to get your thoughts on on i it doesn't seem to me that it makes uh it, it, it makes its way into your limited lifestyle very much but i'm curious your thoughts on how it has maybe affected the the greater community at large well yeah i would say yes and no i, I mean i love data just in general like i'm a huge proponent of 538 if anybody knows that site yeah. I, I just think stats can tell so much, but they can be so, you have to know what the data is telling you. And so what, and it's, it's real tricky because I don't want to advocate for confirmation bias. Um, but like what I'll do a lot is if a card, if I play a card and I think it's a junky card and it just keeps doing well for me, that's when I'll go to 17 lands and go, does this have a pretty good win rate? And if it does, hmm. I'm like, okay, there's something there. If I have another, but if I have a card, like uh, I was just looking up Flame Breather, it has a 53.7% hand game and hand win rate, which is really bad for a red card. And it's actually got a negative 1.4 differential when it's drawn, which should tell you that it's a bad card, or at least that's how I would read it. But I think the real important thing is like you're taking the average of everybody that's playing and, uh, Somebody like for right now, I mean, my win rate is 76%. And that means any card I put in my deck has a 76% win rate. There's no card that's going to buy the numbers is going to increase me, is going to increase my win rate. Hmm. So I have to look at what am I doing differently that the average drafter isn't doing. And I'm going out of my way to draft decks that work with Flame Breather. I want the Flame Breather in my deck. Whereas I would guarantee you a vast majority of the people drafting flame breathers are saying, I need a two drop. I just need to fill up my curve. So I'm going to throw this flame breather in there, or they're going to draft it, but they're not going to go hard after the angers. They're going to take their other, the creatures. And 
So I really think this card ends up not being in the deck that it's suited for. And so if you lean on just the data, you you could have good uh, experiences with it and because you're doing it right. You're drafting it p- properly. But then when you look at the data and it's real bad, that shouldn't discourage you. If you if you feel confident in what you're doing is better than what the average player is doing. If that yeah. makes any sense. No, that makes a lot of sense. Alex, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, to, to kind of, again, I will echo something Beard is saying. Uh, me and Beard often have similar thoughts, but I, I think somebody i was this is something i've been thinking about lately and somebody in uh the chat even mentioned it here too but one of the things about the data is that if it's hard to hide um uh, a card that is doing well like if, if a card is performing well on 17 lands it's hard to uh you know make some story up about well it's doing well because x y and z but it's not actually a good card most of the time when the data shows it's a good card it's a good card i think when a card is doing poorly um, it is harder to, you know, it, it's easy to go, oh, that's just a bad card. But I would be cautious of that because kind of like Beers is saying here, there's a lot of things that can make not so great cards, good cards. And there's a lot of situations where people are putting the cards in their deck that make the, that drag the win rate down. Um, and I think as content creators, um, and you know, I'm sure Ethan, you've expressed this before. It's very, um, you know, when people in chat or, you know, Twitter or whatever go, oh, but this card's not so good. Look at its win rate. It's not very good. Well, I think that can be explained a lot of the time. Um, or you can, you know, one of the things you can say to that is, I agree that the aggregate win rate is proving not very good, but in my experience, I've paired it with these cards, or I'm playing it this way, and I think the way that I'm applying this card makes it better than the way that, it, you know, the average player is applying this card. And it doesn't work the other way often. It's not like, oh, I'm playing this card poorly and, you know, it's a good card, but I'm making it bad. I think it, it's often just a one-way street. So there can be hidden gems among the bad-looking cards a lot of the time. And I think Flame Breather uh, does play into that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Nilo, what are your thoughts? I have no idea who might have, like, said something what Alex was describing. No, no clue. But yeah, yeah, I, I pretty much <laughs> said something late in the last format that uh, pretty much if a card has a high win rate, it's if the average player is having a good win rate with a card, it's probably you that's doing something wrong. Like, and if you are not having su- success with it, and it's very hard for that card to be bad. It does doesn't work if it has high win rate it has a high win rate but yeah like bad bad cards can be good in like certain situations and like you can make a card good and it can have a like bad win rate in an average deck and pretty much like my early success is that i'm playing those like just good cards and figuring out like kind of slowly what the decks are doing and what like maybe they're not so great looking cards might like where they might fit better but like just like yeah yeah pretty much like trust the data if it says it's good in my opinion and skepticism when it's bad when it says it's bad all right uh jacob why don't you, you take us home here before we we move on to our next topic Okay. Yeah. I wanted to, first off, of course, echo what Alex was saying. I, I wholeheartedly agree that if um, like, like 
doing well is something that you should put a lot more st stock in than doing poorly because people might uh, mismanage it. But the other thing I was going to say is if you have a card that has done poorly for you and the stats say it's good, you're your own player. And I think a lot of people just because like, I feel like I can draft any deck and do well with it, but I know for a fact, there's just some archetypes and some uh, drafts that I'm more comfortable playing. And so I may have a green common that just doesn't work for me for whatever reason. I don't draft it well. I don't play it well. And I think that's okay. You don't have to be good at every single archetype or every, I think to survive in a draft archetype. So also kind of feel it out yourself. And if, so, if numbers just aren't matching up for you, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think you're wrong. Just, uh, you know, I mean, try to get better with it, but I really think that the data shouldn't, you shouldn't be so driven by the data that you're that when you get to a pick where you just feel so much more comfortable taking a black card versus this good green card, there's nothing wrong with just taking the black card. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, gentlemen, I'm gonna gonna have us move on to another topic here. I want to make sure we're getting some vow specifics for folks rather than just some some data generalizations Though I know we could talk about data for a while here. So the first thing I want to ask here about vow specifics is what surprised you in the set and how did you adjust? So let's talk about cards, colors, or strategies that opened up for you, or maybe some metagame shifts. I'll say for myself that just today, or maybe the last couple of days, I've noticed black being pretty cut. And I wonder if that has to do with people, you know, a lot, a majority of the powerful cards like Bloodvile Purveyor or Dreadfeast Demon or Toxril are the cards that you, you open as a rare or mythic and then hold on to for dear life. And so perhaps we're seeing, you know, a shift there. Um, any other adjustments or set specific things you can think of chris i'm gonna start it off with you here sure one thing that has jumped out to me a lot and i kind of alluded it to it earlier is how strong life gain really is it it gives you this other angle to just kind of play games on and it just you know if you need to buy extra turns it does that for you so you you if you have a bomb and you want to find it you just throw a lot of life gain in your deck if you're playing like white or black i guess mostly white but um, and then it will buy you the time. And then likewise, if you're a little sensitive to aggro, you know, life gain goes a long way. Also, you can utilize it in like a Boros life gain build and kind of turn it in your favor for like aggro mirror matches. And then you could just attack every turn and not worry about dying on the swing back. So that's something that surprised me. And I think that's been kind of like a trend over the last few sets. And so that's something that, you know, maybe going into the next set, um, I'll think a little bit higher on if I see some life gain floating out there. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, uh, you know, blood is even better than it looked. And I don't I don't think anyone's going to disagree with that. It's an amazing, very strong mechanic for this set. And I think the more blood tokens you're making in a solid deck, the better your chances are at winning. Yeah, that makes sense. Jim, how about you? What sort of things have you maybe evolved over time of the of the course of the couple of weeks of the format? What are, what are some things that you've sort of seen shift for yourself in drafting? Sure. Um, well, after day one, day two, I think vampires and werewolves, at least data-wise, were some of the best decks to be in. And so werewolves was a huge surprise, I think, probably to all of us. And, you know, I try not to let the past set, you know, dictate you know, my current draft, but I think that that happened to a large majority of people, right? Where Werewolves was just really bad last set. And it, for a couple days, was wide open and it turned out to be one of the better decks in the format. And so, um, you know, whether that's just because the Disturbed cards aren't as good or whatever it is, I think double spilling is a lot harder than it was last set. And so these Werewolves flipping are not um, as hard as it was. And there's also 
not silver bolts in an artifact uncom or artifact commons floating around or whatever these cards say just kill a werewolf so werewolves um have been able to i think flourish a little bit better than they could in the last set that was a big surprise to me the other surprise to me and i alluded to it as well was just the, how good the counter spells are um i think blue got a bad rep early data wise but at least for me um personally i've just been really leaning into it hard um, I think I had a, a spell of around 10 to 12 drafts in a row where I was either blue red or blue white and trophied like 80% of the time. It was um, really fun. Um, I think we'll get to that later, what we're enjoying with this set, but um, I just really enjoy blue because it has all the answers that you could ever need. And if they ever do land something, then hell, you can bounce it and then counter it later. Um, and they have their fair share of bombs. So that's what I've been enjoying. Alex, I think there was a pretty significant shift for you. I remember at the end of the first weekend, you were like, oh, this is like one of the worst formats we've ever seen. <laughs> and then uh, that was in, in, our, in a group chat that, that we have with uh, with Ben, Alex and I. And then I think your tune changed a little bit. I mean, I think you, you just like limited in general. I think there's even if the set is the worst set you've ever played, you're still going to jam it seven out of seven days of the week. But I yeah. do think there was perhaps a, a maybe a mental shift for you or perhaps s- something that shifted in terms of your enjoyment of the format and perhaps understanding of the format. I'm curious what that might have been. Yeah, for sure. I think that, uh, number one, to, I, I really like this format now. <laughs> it's definitely been on a very uh, steep upwards trend since since that first weekend. Um, partially, you know, this just happens, right? It's easy to equate losing with bad, right? It's very easy to just be like, oh, I'm not like, especially when you haven't heard the um, opinions and experiences of a lot of other people. You can only really based on your own experiences. I'm like, oh, I'm doing all these things that I'm expecting should go well. And it's not going well. Maybe it's, you know, something about the format that's like, you know, doesn't reward, uh, you know, practice or whatever it is, you know, something illogical, essentially. And, you know, eventually I it clicked with me that I realized I was just kind of doing things wrong. I was prioritizing things incorrectly. I think this set rewards uh, a lot of different things than it, it, most sets of the past year have. Like, it's good to load up and removal in this set, right? It's not great to uh you know you shouldn't try to like dial in on you know the quote-unquote best decks um or like one of the better decks at all costs right um you know it's the 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 large creatures are kind of good and then the the cheap the two drops they don't scale very well so i don't want infinite of them right so it was all of those kind of things right I i was taking two drops less highly i was prioritizing removal higher i was being really flexible just things that uh were just the inverse of what i was doing a lot of the time in in previous sets um but so so yeah, and I, I once I've kind of understood the rules of engagement that we were kind of talking about before, um, it really just clicks with me. I'm still I'm having a really good time, especially in the draft portion. Um, as far as like meta shifts go, or, or meta, you know, th- where things are today, um, kind of what uh, Goosey Goose was saying. I I've really enjoyed Blue as well. I think it, exactly um, what he was saying. It, it kind of got a bad rap early, um, but I think that now it's undervalued enough that especially the premium uncommons and i'm talking like diver scob lunar rejection and biolume egg biolume egg actually specifically is one i want to point out is like i think people are maybe viewing that as a gold card but i think it's just like a great blue card as long as you can pick up an exploiter or two um really really you get those cards really late like i'm talking like pick six seven eight and they're just like awesome cards uh and so like blue is maybe one of the lesser colors but good enough essentially and you get good cards late that i've i've really liked being in blue lately along with all the you know the counter spells and answers that you can have yeah i have found blue to be 
a, a color that I draft quite a bit. It has bumped up in my power rankings to number three behind red and black. And I find it to just be a strong support color. It just really provides a lot of different things very well in the format for me. Uh, yeah, yeah, Jim, what are your thoughts? I just wanted to echo like 100% what you were saying about blue. Like the Biolumegs and the Scabber Diver um, just go way too late. And you get, like you said, you get them six, seven pick. Hell, they wheel sometimes. Um, I'll... I even draft some of the bad blue exploiters. I say bad, but you know they're they're role players. The three two that draws a card, or the or the three three that gets a spell back in, in weak packs. Just because if I get an egg, I want to have that package. And and you know to um, quarter calls point, it's not it's not a blue black card. It's it's a blue card. And you just take you know two or three of these exploiters. Maybe you get the uncommon. Maybe you get the rare. And then you've got a stew. But you don't need it. You just need a couple of the uncommon or the a couple of the common exploiters and that egg is nasty. Like it's, it's evasive. It'll close the game. It blocks everything. It's like a two, it's like, what is it? A three for one. You get to scry, you get coming back as a four or four, you get the, you get the exploit thing. So I'm, I'm just in love with that card and it goes way too late. It's criminal. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that for sure. And the scry two up front. Yeah. Not too shabby. All right. Uh, hot take time. Uh, blocking is good in this format. Beers, your thoughts. No, <laughs> no. The lover of massive might says no. Okay, talk to me why. Why is blocking Let's bad block. in this format? Uh, no, I think I, I do not want to ever block in this format <laughs> ever. Well, so I guess if we're do, if we're doing the hot take, that's my hot take is never block. But yeah, more to the point is I want to be in the position to attack every turn, and I've tried to phrase it in a way that isn't. I, I don't need to attack every turn, so. The great, uh, to me, the way to illustrate this is last set when we had the zombie tokens that died, couldn't block, and they died when they attacked. But then they had secret blocking. I think that's what a term you used. Yeah. And it's because there was so much power that could crack back on you, you couldn't really attack them. So you kind of had these stalemates. That's where I want to be in this format. I don't necessarily have to attack every turn, but I want to be developing my board. Maybe I have a uh, uh, shore strike in hand but I don't want to use it yet. I want to get my creatures on the board, but I want to make sure that my opponent doesn't ever feel comfortable attacking me while I develop. And then once I've turned the corner, once I feel I'm safe to attack, I'm going at it. And that's why to, to, uh, to a greater degree is why flame chase or flame breather has been so good for me is that it allows me to sit back. It's a one, three that could block if it needed to, it pings them while I develop out my other board or, or play impulses to get some more cards and uh, then when I finally turn the corner, it's threatening damage just from any spell I cast, and then all my creatures that are attacking are. And so I really just don't feel super comfortable being in the position where I have to line up double blocks or I have to block and hope my opponent doesn't blow me out all while I want to be the one presenting the, uh, you know, asking the questions. What I heard you say, I'm sorry, I, I probably blanked there, but I, what I heard you say was that a two mana one three was good at blocking. That's well, what, that, was, that was your point, right? That was your point. I'm joking. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, basically, more or less. How about you, Chris? Thoughts on blocking is good in this format. Um, I li- I like exactly how Beers yeah. uh, kind of framed it. Is I want the opportunity to be able to make attacks every turn, but I don't necessarily need to. I rather, you know, it's it's all about controlling the board state, and when when you are on the back foot, there are so many ways to abuse that in this format um, as the opponent kind of attacking into you. Um, all of a sudden, all the counter spells get much better. All of a sudden, you know, their blood tokens, they could kind of take some time off to find the cards that they need 
because you have to be committing to adding to the board or doing something. So once you have the advantage, there's a lot of ways to abuse that lead. So I think Beers framed it perfectly. All right. Great. Great. So I'm the only one who thinks that blocking is good. I'm just loving my two mana one threes and three mana one fours in this format. I think blocking's great. But All right. Yes, Jim. That's one for team blocking there. I <laughs> love to see it. Um, let's, uh, let's get to a couple of questions from chat before we, we wrap up this discussion here. Um, the, the first thing that, uh, that someone asked is about changing lanes in the format. And we sort of had some answers to it in the chat, but I am, I think it's be important to get that on, on the screen of the video here on the, on the audio of the podcast, because it's something that we just discussed on the episode that we released yesterday, which is this format for me is a bit more about drafting colors than color pairs. And that I think the colors just all sort of go well together, but they're not, they're generally not like greater than the sum of their parts. Sometimes they are, whatever you have blue, red spells, you have black, white, life gain, et cetera. But this is just like, I want to get the good cards from blue and the good cards from red and pair them together is generally how I'm approaching it. And I think that leads to also, you know, the idea of leaving yourself open to getting past a bomb or opening a bomb later, or, you know, opening a bomb yourself and how long do you hold on to it, et cetera. And all of that I think leads to perhaps staying open longer than we might in other formats. Um, Alex, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, in general, I'm somebody who like often, my, my general draft strategy is get deep into one color and then figure out your second color later. So in most formats, I you know have been known to pivot as late as pack three, but I do think I have done even more in this format. You know, just yesterday I was like drafting, I think it was like red, blue, and then pack three, you open Dreadfast Demon. And it's like, well, I've just got enough blue cards here and I just jammed the red fast team into my deck and that's better than all of my red cards, right? So, I mean, I guess the way I would frame it, and this is this goes for any format, but this one in particular too, um, is that just, it's really, you know, when I'm doing like draft log reviews or, you know, just going over people's draft logs and I go, oh, that's, you know, they're in pack two and they take, you know, they're, they're flirting with black, they're flirting with red, they're flirting with white, and they took like a, an okay red card over like a really good white card. Oftentimes people will say, I'll say, oh, why'd you make this pick here? And they're like, oh, mentally I was red, uh, white or whatever color I didn't mention. You know, I, I was this at this point. Uh, and so I didn't think this was a consideration. I guess my advice that I, I, I tend to put into practice and I, I give to other people is until the end of the draft, don't count yourself out as any color pair or any color, right? Obviously you want to like position yourself early to be able to transition into anything you can open, but don't, uh, don't sell yourself short and don't be like, well, it's too late for this. Um, I just think that like you can make, you can find a way to make it happen. Sometimes that's splashing, but you got to be careful with that. Sometimes just, you know, setting yourself early, getting deep into one color that you can really transition into anything. Um, but the it's, it's all about shifting percentages, right? Like I may be like 80% to be red blue through this draft. And then the 20% when I open that dread fast demon, sure. I'll shift to that lane, but uh, never, never lock yourself into you know, mentally lock yourself into I'm doing this because I think that uh, that's how you pass up on good cards. One one point or two points here. First is quarter in the swear jar for every time Alex calls it dread fast demon and not dread feast demon. Oh, is which... it? Oh, is it fe- I didn't know that. <laughs> Wait, um, I, I thought it was breakfast demon. It's breakfast, <laughs> sure, but dread feast is uh, is the name of the card. But two, I think that this is a real important mental shift that Alex is talking about here in terms of just reminding yourself that you're not locked in at basically a lot of points in the draft. I think you can sort of decide, hey, I'm red white, and then that t- 
tunnels you in the beginning of pack two to not really take stock of all your options or even in the middle of pack two. Milo, how late do you find yourself? You know, it's a big question, I think, set to set, but this set specifically, how late do you find yourself locking in? to a color pair or how late do you find yourself deciding, you know, as a, as a fan of green, how, how are you finding yourself saying now these are the cards or now is the time when I'm going to decide to be green, blue, XXX, multicolor, good stuff, that sort of thing. So let's start off by saying it's like so contextual, but (laughs) like everything in magic. Right. But like often I kind of, you said in the last episode, I think, that you tried to stick with one color. Mm-hmm. If you open bomb, of course, and so on. But I kind of disagree with that. I usually just try to take the best cards in packs, even if I open a bomb and I don't make like much concessions in my pick order, even it's like Helena and Elena or Breakfast Demon or something like that. I... So, but like, if I can, I will of course stay in one color. No, no question about that. But also, that leads to leads me to probably draft more like multicolor or something because I try to pick like the best cards generally. Generally, and usually that leads to finding an open color in pack one, and kind of getting a lot of cards in that color and. Quite often recently, it's been blue, though actually I've been red in 13 out of my 15 drafts. But but I do find myself kind of when I find an open color, I find myself kind of sticking to it. Then like through pack two or even some parts of pack three, if I don't like see any reason to go like, into other lanes, so I might stay kind of open, so to say, especially for my main colors, if I can splash or something. For like throughout the pack, throughout pack two and kind of to start start of the pack three, and also a reason I like green <laughs> and kind of let you do that. You know, you can play the cards anyway you pick up along the way. Yeah. So yeah. It's like just such a hard question because it depends so much. But my advice for this format would kind of be just take the best cards out of packs, and that's not usually how my format like goes. I usually just force colors pretty much. Jacob, I think you are on the other end of the spectrum here in terms of you want to really draft red if at all possible is the sense that I get. Uh, What are your thoughts about... It sounds like to me like you are going to maybe often take some concessions and pick orders or avoid colors, lean into your preference, that sort of thing. Does that lead you to lock into a color pair earlier or are you still staying open to some extent? So I think I kind of, I stay open while forcing red, which sounds kind of contradictory, but I, so the, the first pack, I mean, I'll open up and I'll say, you know, is there a bolt and a braid, a flame breather? Is there something that draws me into red? Uh, or, you know, obviously if there's a bomb, uh, certain bombs that I'll take. But if there's nothing there, that then I personally, there's two decks I really like. I like blue-red, and I like white-blue. If I'm not in red, white-blue is my favorite place to be. And I do really like black-red. But blue bridges the gap between the red deck I want to be in 
and also the white blue deck that I actually like getting into if it's open. So I'll then look to blue and say, okay, is there like store? I was joking that Alex didn't even name the blessed blue, blue uncommon because I think St- storm chaser Drake, I believe the name of it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if it really is, but I love that card. I mean, obviously I'm drafting all the angers I can get. So it pairs really well with those. So a card like Drake or uh, the one, one flyer, I'm blanking on the name. The lantern bearer. Uh, Lantern yeah, Lantern Bearer. So I'll look to those cards. Okay, I don't have anything in red. Is there a Lantern Bearer? Is there a Drake? Is there anything there? If not, then I might go to black. Okay, I like black with red. And so I'll kind of go down that, that path. Then the second pick, let's say I point to discussion. I, I don't know if I'd ever first pick that one, but let's just say that's what ends up being my best color. The next pack, okay, is there an Abrade? Is there a Flame Is there, you know, I go through the same red, nothing there. Then do I like black and blue? Not really. So now I'm more looking like, can I just stay open by drafting another black card? And so then I kind of go down that that path. And then once it becomes clear that red's not open, I'm in black. Then I go, okay, now that I've got this black deck going, how am I? What's the best way I can do the air now that red's not available? And so it's not really staying open. I, like I said, I'm drafting with huge preferences, but I sort of have in my mind. Blue is an escape hatch because I can get into white blue if I need to. And then I go down the line. And if all that stuff starts to close out, that's when I just have to, then I'm forced to actually make hard decisions and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. You don't, you want the easy drafts, not the hard drafts. <laughs> Jim, what, what, what are your thoughts here? Um, well, I just came up with this when everybody was talking and it kind of makes sense. There's at least for me, the draft goes three different ways. One, you open your bomb, the color's open, right? And it's an easy draft. Two, you're taking, I think, what um, as an NCAA mm-hmm. uh, was saying, uh, you kind of take the best card of the pack. Those are the hardest drafts for me because a lot of the times you get mixed signals, right? And it's just you end up with a pile. And I've train wrecked a lot of drafts that way, but sometimes that is the way that you draft. Um, but what people are saying, and it, and it aligns with with what I'm doing, is is the, the third draft is the back door. And so um, uh you were just saying, was it uh, beers? Um, you like blue, white, and blue, red, and those are my back doors too. And so, if I see pack one, pick one, or pack one, pick two, Brian Comer, or like Geist Snare, or something that is basically a blue, white, gold card, and I'm I'm in the back of my head, I'm thinking, okay, this is my back door. I'm gonna like kind of if I don't have a strong pick. I'm going to lean towards that deck. And if those cards wheel, then I'm all in. Or if it's blue, red, um, you know, the, the, the flyer doesn't always wheel. Right. But something like that, or I don't know, um, red has a lot of good cards, but like if the counter spells are willing, for example. So I find myself a lot of the times, you know, you don't always open the bomb. You don't always get clear signals. And so for me, probably half my drafts are backdoor drafts. And so like, I'm always keeping an eye on what is wheeling, especially out of those first two or three picks. And I personally prefer the blue ones. So that's what I've been doing. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Chris, anything to add here about, uh, yeah. about finding so the I open think, color? Yeah. So like, I, th- I think for any sets you, you kind of use, Oh, I already have X amount of cards in this color as tiebreakers. Right. And so when the power level is pretty even across all the colors, you know, it, it's pretty easy. Like, Oh, okay. I'll just take, I'll just take the card that's in that's in agreement with what I already have in my pile. But in a format where there's like game-changing bombs, um, it kind of warps what that differential can be before you start choosing a different color or not, right? So you get really rewarded if you just open some crazy game-ending bomb in pack two and you're basically one color. You can pick that up and, you know, easily incorporate it. So I think in this set, 
specifically, it it does pay you off a bit more than normal to maybe have like stay on a single color track for a bit longer than average. Um, but you know, so, so that's how I kind of approach it when I'm, when I'm drafting is I, I always think of these like color tiebreakers. I always think about what's going on in the format. And I think a lot of times I'll say, okay, I'll just pick up cards that are good. And then around pick six or seven, some lane will appear and I'll hop in there. But these tiebreakers become a little more important when you know there's these like bombs out there that you could open in later packs. So that's just kind of a way to think about it. Yeah, I think that's a great philosophy. Nilo, what do you got to say, my friend? So I, yeah, I agree. It's more that I think because the power level is so flat, I'm big picking the best cards and not like, sticking to one color that often because I can get those so to say medium commons I never like I don't draft bad decks so like I don't like playables it's not a problem I can get those so I want to have like as many good cards as I can and not like yeah, yeah, sure. If I have like some bombs, I still want other good cards so I can beat the other bombs and not lose them pretty much. Like, uh, I agree, but also like, I think there is another way to do it. Like if you, because the com- uh, power level is so flat, you want like other, as many good cards as you can get pretty much. Yeah. Jacob? Okay. So one other thing I wanted to add is that I think... Know from, I don't care if it's pick one or pick five or pack two, know how your deck's winning. And not every deck, even with the same cards, is winning the same way. I have times where I'm like, okay, I've got, I only got one flame breather. I have four angers. I don't have a ton of early ways to push the damage that way. I think there's going to be a critical turn where my opponent has gained control. I'm not going to be able to finish it. And so I'll run two bloody betrayals. Now, an act of treason isn't a card I necessarily love to have in my deck. But if I can see that my, my deck just isn't you know, coming together quite the way I need to, I need to figure out a path to win. And I think a lot of people are scared. Scared is maybe not the right word, but they feel that they're wrong for taking some kind of bad picks, for lack of a better term. But if you know that's what your deck needs to win, or that's how you see it going, and that's from playing the deck over and over, you know, even though it's limited, similar style decks. Once you know the whole of your deck... Start drafting cards that help fill that rather than, you know, necessarily the best card uh, in the pack. Yeah, great advice for yeah. any, any format, but certainly for this format. Can, um, can I quickly touch on that? Yeah, please, Jim. Um, so just the fact that we have blood in this format lets you take those those um, risks, right? Like, because if the card ends up not being good for you, like the Bloody Betrayal, you can just pitch it to the blood. So I love taking risks like that. Like even end the festivities as a main deck card. If you've got the blood to pitch it, like sometimes these hoser cards just win the game out- outright and you can go ahead and pitch it if you don't need it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that leads me to, I think, my last question, which is uh, I'm curious about everybody's enjoyment of the format. My guess is that everybody here likes the set um, in terms of the, the amount of the volume of matches that we've all played, the volume of drafts that we've done. That also might just be, you know, a sign of our degeneracy, but it may be a little bit of column A, column B. But I, I'll start with myself that one, I think blood is 
perhaps the best limited mechanic we've ever seen. It just has led to, I just feel like I get to play magic in basically every match that I play. Um, and that is because, I mean, you know, blood or whatever, there are a number of other hand smoothing or mana sinky things like disturb that exist that you can uh, incorporate as well. But I've just found blood to be such a great mechanic in the format. Um, and two, I think the the bomby nature has been sort of blown out of proportion, but I also recognize that that comes from a, a sense of privilege maybe is the right, is the right word where I'm going to play so many matches where I'm going to have just as many opportunities to play with bombs as I am to face them. Um, and so that all feels like it comes out to, in the wash for me. Whereas a set like midnight hunt, which I did not particularly care for the, the inclusion of bomb commons like diagraph horde that hose entire archetypes or organ hoarder, where it's just like, Oh, this person was at a table with people who didn't value organ hoarder and they got three of them that draft in and draft out for someone like me. And I think for, for folks at, at this round table as well, who are going to draft, you know, a hundred times, 150 times, 200 times a format that is going to feel more punishing, at least in, in my experience. So the, the bombs have sort of, they don't really warp the format for myself. And those are the, the thoughts I have about how, and I should say, and I think this point has been made that that bombs also sort of, or, or rares worth drafting towards or worth warping pick orders around make the drafts fun for me. I think they switch up how the drafts feel draft in and draft out where it's like, oh, cool, I opened this rare, I'm still going to take Organ Hoarder, doesn't. It's like opening up Power 9 and a cube. You're just like, oh, I don't get to take a fun build around. I have to take this thing that's going to win me the drafts. Chris, I see you nodding a lot. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand this over to you first, and I'm curious your thoughts here. Yeah, so I've I've been really loving this format and I think exactly what you said where when the power is already it was concentrated a lot in the in the rares and the mythics people are more likely to, you know, okay, say people don't want to draft green for whatever reason. If they open Averbrook, they're going to draft green. And then that's going to lead them down a path where they're going to build this deck that they probably wouldn't build otherwise. So you get a lot more variety. There was a question regarding this in the chat and I think it's true. You get a lot more variety. And like, you get a lot more. Um, Sorry, I'm just dying because Beers is making a face about because I, I know he wants to take ca- the, I, the flame I, breather over average, but we'll let we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. So basically, I think the format's really fun. I think there's a good uh, complex advanced gameplay decisions that let like, you win games where maybe you shouldn't have, and like you know, what should I? pitch to this blood should i save it should i play out this land just in case i draw my seven drop there's all these things that are really fun um mechanics that happen throughout the game but i think the the color balance is spot on and i think the bombs add like you said to people who do a lot of drafts they add a lot of variety and they give us opportunities to build decks we might otherwise not build but i do recognize it really really sucks if you get a few drafts in a format and all of those drafts you run into like a demon and then uh you know soar in on turn four and then other stuff so that that does suck but i yeah. mean it's hard it's hard to balance a limited format perfectly i guess for sure yeah i'll just be selfish and say i'm i'm happy with this one for myself all right beers what, what are your thoughts well, uh, so uh, I saw. I did say that I would take Flame Breather over uh, Caretaker, and high, I will admit that I think that's probably wrong for everybody, maybe even me included. But I feel so comfortable de- drafting red. I don't feel comfortable drafting green. I don't care about having a six drop in my deck. That uh, I mean, I even go so far as to think that uh, Dreadfeast Demon, which I love. I mean, I think that's a. I think that might be the biggest bomb in the set, if you ask me. 
I still might take Flame Breather over it because I don't want a seven drop. Like I know I can get the thing is bombs equalize win rates uh, across all skill level. And I mean, obviously better players are going to be better with good bombs, but I feel so comfortable in a strategy that I found and I've won, won enough that I don't feel the need to, to reach for bombs. But, and, and that's part of the reason to get back to your question about the format. I love this format. Uh, I think blood is amazing. I see so often where my opponents will pitch something to blood at the end of their turn for no reason. And I think that, and that's something I would say for a lot of players to uh, look at is that just because you have something available and the man available, you don't need to rummage. Um, and I think being able to make those plays better than your opponents and siphon or uh, go through your deck quicker and see more of your good cards or have your deck strategy play out the way you intended it to more consistently. I just, I, I love it. And I rarely ever play bombs or, or like draft bombs. Like I pass bombs a lot in this format now because I just feel I can get under them. Yeah. So anyway, I, I love it. I love what it does. I love the fact that I can argue for flame breather over caretaker, even though I'm probably wrong, but I love doing it. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jim, what are your thoughts here? Just the general question. I love the format. Love it. But um, I love the last format as well. So I think at least for me, you got to know the rules of engagement and last format you had to be Demir, right? Was the rules of engagement basically. And so I was fine doing that and drafting that 80% of the time. And this in this format, I am happy to do what I'm doing. And like I said, I think you need answers to bombs or you need to have bombs. Now, uh, beers, I don't know if um, taking Dread Feast Demon is a reach, uh, like you called <laughs> it. Um, I think maybe taking the 1-3 over, over that is a reach. But um, to your point, I, you can draft with... Uh, per, with um, what is the word that we're using here? Preferences. Preferences, yes. And you can do extremely well with it. And that's what makes this format amazing. There's answers to the bombs. At Every bomb has an answer at common. Like, I don't think you can name one that doesn't. Um, maybe Holebreaker or uh, you can bleed dry it, right? So right. pretty much everything can be countered or everything can be destroyed um, with the Sanctify or everything can be killed. And so, yes, you need to know that that's going to be coming down. And that's where best of three comes in. And so I think a lot of people might be having a bad, um, uh, you know, for like they don't like the format. I think maybe best of one is leading towards some of those um, poor opinions because with best of three, you can have those bullets, those silver bullets in your sideboard and you know what you need to beat in games two and three. And it, it, it is just amazingly fun from draft to deck building to playing with blood and the bombs and all of the different things that you can do. This has been one of my favorite formats. Yeah. Nilo, how about you? You're enjoying this set? Yeah, I'm loving this set. Pretty, but pretty much like everyone covered it, I think. Uh, also, I would like to say why I like best of one usually. So like uh, Goosey Goose said, there is like, positives to you know what you're playing against and so on but it can also be a negative for some people i like playing against cards in the dark more like if i know my opponent's deck and i can plan around it yeah i don't find it that fun i like i find it fun kind of to play around the unknown and figure out like what's going on and i think sideboarding is pretty boring that's my opinion i, I think everyone should play what they like yeah. Like, yeah, that's the main thing. Like, everyone likes different things. And also, I just get some kind of kick from my mythic rank going up and up. But 
uh, like loving the format overall. I I think it's a really good change of pace, like to compare to recent formats. I didn't like the last format that much myself. And again, if you like this format, that's nice. If you don't, that's fine as well. And like, but just like, it's so different. I feel like in the last, I don't know, I kind of started playing a lot during ICO, so I'm more of a zoomer. But after that, <laughs> I think you pretty much could force colors or color pass in every set with extremely good success. And I think this is the like, first format in a while where that's at least somewhat different. And yeah. things are pretty balanced, so to say. I think so. Alex, you want to take us home here before we sign off? Yeah, I don't have too much to say that uh, our our fine friends here have not already covered. I definitely agree with a lot of the stuff that has been said. I definitely agree with the whole idea of the bombs kind of equalizing the color pairs and what people um, like to gravitate towards. I think that's really cool. And I think that's why we're seeing, you know, quote unquote, drafting the hard way being successful because people are more likely just to like pass on colors of good, like good cards in colors that don't go with their bombs that they first picked. So um, this is like a pretty good format for, you know, really hard one of the spectrum practicing your signal reading skills. So I think that's really cool. Um, I kind of agree with Nilo in a way where I, I, I love best of three. I like best of one a lot too. I think there's, you know, there's a lot of people who have strong feelings towards one or the other, but I, I actually kind of like that, um, that playing in the dark, kind of like chaos. like you don't, you know, you're kind of playing in this like, system of chaos you're not you're kind of like uh, adjusting these percentages of what you're expecting to see on the other side um and that's even amplified even more in this format because of you know their turn six might be insane so i've actually you know had had fun in that regard too but i've also played for the best of three recently too um and i've i've actually found the sideboarding to be pretty rich honestly um because you can bring in three counter spells four counter spells where you didn't have main deck you can bring in you know um you know, there's just like a lot of sideboard options, even something like Bloody Betrayal, when you know you're in a, a, a matchup that's going to be about racing and you're on the play. Um, that's cool, too. I just think there's a lot of good things to be said for this format. And uh, like others have said, it it is it does suck if you, you know, happen to do 10 drafts of this format and half of them decide, are decided by the bombs. If you're somebody who, uh, you know, it gets, you know, kind of upset or tilted over individual games. Maybe this format is going to leave a sour taste in your mouth. But overall, I, I do actually think it's a pretty good format. Yeah, I'm definitely a huge fan of the format as well. Well, there you have it. Almost no consensus here. You can stay open. You can draft with preferences. You can have green be your base color and let you play your best cards, or you can avoid green like the plague because it itself lacks power. Uh, you can take the bombs. You can pass the bombs, and you can make concessions based on the bombs that you've picked or not. There really isn't one way to go in terms of having success in this format, and that is one of the reasons that I wanted to have these fine folks on to discuss their success in the set. Uh, gentlemen, I really want to thank you for taking time out of the middle of your day to join me on this podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I'm sure our listeners and viewers do as well. Uh, if you want to check out these fine, fabulous drafters, I know Beers SC, sometimes streamer at twitch.tv slash Beers SC, NCAA soon to be streamer, and both of those folks are uh, frequenters of many a stream and Discord as well. You can check out Alex Nikolic, uh, twitch.tv slash cord underscore O underscore calls. He is also the host of the Limited Level Ups podcast. 
You can check out Jim streaming at twitch.tv slash goose 88 And you can also check out Chris streaming at twitch.tv slash Mun. And you can check out his podcast and stream team, The Draft Lab, at Draft Lab on Twitter. For us... Thank you so much to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you over there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you have any feedback or any questions about the show, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much much for listening or watching and we'll catch you next week for another episode of lords of limited With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com spoken. That's linkedin.com spoken. Terms and conditions apply.